I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Alex Panetta. We are now more than a year into this brutal war in Ukraine, and all this time the chance for peace has seemed remote. But could that maybe, possibly, be changing? Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky has been wanting for months to get China's President Xi Jinping on the phone. And I want to speak with him because I have con- I had contact with him before full-scale war, but during all this year, more than one year, I didn't have, and I really wait when our teams will uh, find like the solution. To, but no plans yes. at the moment. Yes. Okay. Yes. Would you invite him here? It's finally happened. They talked this week for almost an hour. Zelensky described the call as meaningful and as a potential step toward that elusive goal, peace. And China has a proposal for peace talks. So what does it all mean? Today, I'm joined by a person with a great perspective on this, Emma Graham Harrison. She's spent a lot of time in China and in Ukraine. She's the senior international affairs correspondent for The Guardian and The Observer. She's going to take us through what Xi Jinping is proposing, talk about whether China could bring peace to Ukraine, and whether there's reason to be maybe a bit skeptical. Hi, Emma. Hello. I want to get into China's peace proposal, but first, did any concrete action come out of this phone call? No, and I I think the sort of concrete action really was the phone call itself. I mean, we've had months of Zelensky um, asking politely, obviously, to speak to Xi, multiple meetings, conversations between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin. And you had, to me, quite an extraordinary scenario where Xi Jinping had put forward or China had put forward a peace plan for Ukraine without even having a conversation with, um, you know, Ukraine's leader. That's something. <laughs> well, uh, she said, he, Indeed. yeah, he said he wants to send a peace delegation to Ukraine, if I understand correctly. So do we know who's in this this delegation? So, I mean, Xi Jinping did indeed say that he would send a delegation with um, senior officials. I think it's interesting that while this was a focus of the Chinese side's summary of this conversation, of course, it was a private conversation, uh, Zelensky's summary of the conversation had a very different focus. He didn't really talk about negotiation or the delegation. He just said he hoped China would have an active participation in efforts to restore peace. So in the call, President Xi reportedly said Beijing will neither watch the fire nor add fuel to the fire nor take advantage of the crisis to profit. Now, what do you make of those remarks? Who might he be talking about there? I mean, I think you can see those comments as a fairly thinly veiled dig at the West, really. It's China trying to sort of differentiate itself, essentially, from the US and Europe, criticizing them for providing weapons to Ukraine and sort of trying to underline that China isn't 
providing weapons to Russia. There's certainly been talk that they are considering doing so. We've had warnings from the White House that, that they're sort of considering that. They've also been transferring to Russia, selling to Russia some dual use technology, the type of stuff that's not specifically for military use, but can be used for military purposes. Mm. So yeah, I think that should really be seen as a, a, a very thinly veiled criticism of the US and an attempt, the US and Europe, and an attempt to sort of cast China as being a more a neutral country, perhaps with more of a moral high ground in this in this uh, conflict. Well, on the question of moral high grounds, I, I would imagine that the view in some Western capitals might be, well, that's pretty rich. I mean, China's described its no limits alliance with Russia, the invading country. Uh, Putin and Xi recently met for days. You talked about dual use technology. So what is the state of the Russia-China alliance? So Russia is incredibly important to China. You know, if you, if you look at sort of China's vision for itself on the world stage, particularly under Xi, who's made China much more sort of globally assertive, you know, who's who sort of changed China's attitude to diplomacy. We've had things like, uh, you know, both economically, politically, China getting much more involved, being much more assertive and aggressive. And, and China's allies, its staunch allies, don't really include many geopolitical heavyweights. You know, there's countries like Pakistan, certainly it's a, a large country with a large population, nuclear arms, but, you know, it's not a geopolitical heavyweight. And really the only country that is lined up firmly beside China that that is a sort of global power with, you know, military, energy, economic reach, even in its current state diminished after military failures in Ukraine, the economic impact of sanctions. They really only have Russia. And, and I think you can see the importance of Russia to China. They've, they've got a long history of mutual suspicion. Um, obviously, when, when both were communist states, that came out very strongly in the Sino-Soviet split. But just before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, we saw this commitment from China to a no-limits partnership with Russia. And I think that really sums up how important Russia is to, to China. So let's talk a bit about this peace plan. It has 12 points. It's called China's Position on the Political Settlement of the Ukraine Crisis. It was actually published uh, by the Chinese government back in February. And some things it outlines are stopping sanctions, prioritizing humanitarian operations, and abandoning the quote-unquote Cold War mentality. So where did China come up with all this, and did it actually consult with Ukraine and Russia first? So certainly there will have been consultations, but I would just come back to the point that, you know, drawing up a peace plan for conflict in which you've spoken repeatedly to the leader of one country, the country that invaded the other country, and you have not had a conversation with the leader of the country that has been invaded, I think is, is a pretty clear statement of where your priorities lie, frankly. China is talking also about uh, limiting the expansion of weapons in this conflict, specifically nuclear weapons. China is talking about you know, not having um, you know, that nuclear saber being brandished. What do you make of that, 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 the points from Beijing about nuclear weapons? Well, you know, I think that's very interesting because there's a very clear sort of point to be made here, which is that there's only one party to this war that has nuclear weapons. Um, so there's only one party that can decide to deploy them. So, you know, China may have been talking to Zelensky, you know, the leader of Ukraine. But if they're talking about concerns about 
nuclear escalation, that to me reads more like a warning to Putin, you know, a way of China saying this is something we really, really don't want to see. And also China being seen on the world stage to be acting as a responsible partner, you know, pushing back against what is certainly a major concern of people and governments around the world, the possibility of nuclear escalation. So I think China is both concerned about it as everyone else is and and obviously wants to be seen to, to be making that point as well in public. Okay, just one last question about the plan, and 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 there's there's a a, a potential sticking point in there um, about territorial integrity. Uh, you know, China wants the sovereignty, independence, and territorial integrity of all countries to be upheld. What's the problem with that? Do you see a, an issue there? You know, the the problem is Russian Russian forces now still, despite impressive Ukrainian military gains over the first year of the war. Russia still occupies nearly a fifth of Ukrainian territory, and it doesn't just occupy it. It's held these sham referendums to try and legitimize its presence and claim that it has popular support for those parts of Ukraine to become instead parts of Russia. So it's it's claiming those as its territory. So there's an argument. You have two, two countries both claiming the same area as part of their territory. Russia's is not recognized internationally, but, you know, China is a close ally. So it's, you know, unclear where they stand on that. Is there anything in there that you think is likely to lead to peace? Anything in there you think is is problematic? I think rather than talking about what's in in the peace plan, you have to consider whether or not the two sides are ready to come to the table at the moment. Um, And particularly when it comes to Russia, you know, Putin invaded Ukraine without provocation, although, of course, he and to a degree, China would argue that there was provocation. And, you know, he's despite military setbacks, he's he's continued on that path. And we, we've seen, you know, he's he's doubled down. We've seen Wagner emptying Russia's prisons to sort of send badly trained fighters to the front lines. And so, I mean, I think to to come to the negotiating table, you have to, it's a truism, but you have to be at a point where where both parties consider that they have not got very much left to gain through military action, or at least that that the cost of military action might be outweighed by the benefits. And I just think we're so far off from that point that going through the Chinese proposal as a sort of roadmap for, for negotiations is just a bit premature. Vladimir Zelensky himself, his reaction has been less than uh, exceptionally enthusiastic, right? So how's he how's he kind of greeting this, especially the you know questions about territorial sovereignty that China's raised? Well, you know, I think Zelensky's in in a really interesting position because it's clear to him, as it is to anybody, that you know you have this very strong alliance between China and Russia that Beijing knows exactly where its interests lie, and that it's not going to abandon Russia as an ally and suddenly start sort of moving towards Ukraine. That said, China's support for Russia could range from very proactive material support of weapons to a more broad political support. And we've seen already from Xi that he's he's clearly had some unhappiness about how the invasion has played out. We had Putin last September saying that she had questions and concerns about the war. And so I think what Zelensky seems to be trying to do is basically courting Beijing through the conflict, 
he said um, in February, Zelensky said to Die Welt, I'd like Beijing to be on our side at the moment. However, I don't think it's possible. So I think Zelensky is very realistic about the fact that, that China is not suddenly going to become an ally of Ukraine. However, I think what they do consider realistic, and this is the, the sort of general thrust of Ukrainian foreign policy and policy towards China, is, is to at least curb the extent to which Ch- China is willing to back Moscow, particularly in terms of giving them arms. So I imagine, you know, what Zelensky would like to aim for is China that that clearly remains diplomatically supportive, politically supportive of Moscow, continues an alliance that's quite close in terms of a lot of their trading relationship, but doesn't actively get involved in the war in terms of supplying arms and other things like that to to Russia. Now, let's talk about who holds what territory. Ukraine supposedly gearing up for this spring counteroffensive and Ukrainian officials are, are desperate to, to make some gains. Do you think the results of that operation could potentially dictate Ukraine's willingness to negotiate? I mean, certainly that's what a lot of Ukraine's allies are saying, that this is, you know, an important push that's potentially if Russia is humiliated again militarily as it was, you know, when it failed to take Kiev, when it was pushed out of thousands of square kilometers around Kharkiv last spring when the Ukrainians took back Kherson, the only regional capital that the the Russians had managed to seize in their this full-scale invasion, that it could push perhaps not Putin, but people close to him to consider more seriously some some kind of peace talk. So Yes, there has been some discussion among Ukraine's allies that this is sort of a a key moment setting up for talks. I would say that in Ukraine, that is very much not how this is seen. You know, there's still a strong commitment within Ukraine, both from the government and from ordinary Ukrainians to reclaiming all the territory that Russia has taken, at least publicly. And that's somewhere where I'd say, you know, Ukraine and its allies aren't aligned. There's concerns that this is going to be much more difficult for Ukraine than, you know, even the the pretty impressive military feats of defending Kyiv, of liberating parts of Kharkiv, because Russia's troops have had so long to dig in defensive lines um, in the areas where, where Ukraine might try to attack. Have you ever wondered why you see what you see when you're online? I'm Jamie Bartlett, and in The Gatekeepers from BBC Radio 4, I'm telling the story of how social media accidentally conquered the world. Mark's explained to me he's going for a billion users. I'm going, for what? I'm sorry, what is it you're going to do? They can give us a voice or silence us, whoever we are. At Real Donald Trump, it says, account suspended. Everything to understand how we got here and where it's taking us. Listen to The Gatekeepers, available wherever you get your podcasts. Does China even want peace? I mean, in this war, China's getting cheaper Russian gas. It's watching its nemesis, the United States, exhaust its weapons stockpiles. The U.S. weapons industry now has a major backlog in supplying Taiwan. So on a strategic level, I mean, isn't this great for China? I mean, do you think Beijing really even wants peace? I mean, I think if you look at this conflict from another perspective, you see a West which appeared very weak and very divided after, for instance, you know, the Taliban took Afghanistan, after, you know, Assad managed to reassert his position in the Syrian civil war, suddenly incredibly unified, backing a country which is 
militarily humiliating a bigger, richer and better armed neighbour. Everybody's very aware that that has required Western support. But still, it's Ukrainians on the ground who have done it, defying everybody's expectations except perhaps their own. And, you know, I think ultimately, were Ukraine to emerge from this 100% victorious with everything it wanted to achieve, and Russia, you know, would be extremely, extremely badly damaged by that outcome, it would leave China without its biggest and most important ally in a world in which it is effectively challenging US geopolitical leadership. And certainly there are advantages to China for for what's happening now. And, and, And as we've discussed, its relationship with Moscow is certainly not one that's entirely based on mutual trust or affection it's it's a, a marriage of com- convenience a strategic alliance so it's not to say that that china isn't happy to see both russia and the us take a hit but i think ultimately beijing would not want to see would not be happy seeing russia badly unilaterally defeated in this war so yes i think china does have an incentive to both push for negotiations and try to do, as it seems to be doing, carefully calibrate its support for Russia and perhaps the advice it's giving Moscow about how it carries out this war. It's been a big month. Uh, China's on this international charm offensive. Um, you know, she meeting with the president of France, meeting with the EU commissioner. But its its diplomatic initiatives go way beyond Europe. Uh, China's ramped up its its peacekeeping profile through the UN Security Council. Uh, last month, it helped Saudi Arabia and Iran reach a deal to restore diplomatic relations. There's also this new leak from the Pentagon saying that China's secretly building military facilities in the Middle East. What's China's big global strategy here? What's it trying to do in the world? You know, I think I think China China sees itself as a competitor to the US in in the world order and I'm, it's not entirely clear whether Xi Jinping thinks that that you know an American superpower and a Chinese superpower can coexist or whether he he thinks that they're they're locked in competition. Certainly he's made clear that he thinks that the US is threatened by China's rise and is trying to contain it, to undermine it, to limit it. And so I think a lot of what he's doing is aimed at trying to break free of that, to undermine the US, the European constraints on China, growing its economy, growing its ability to project both military and political power around the world. Okay. Now, uh, we've gone through a bunch of potential pitfalls um, in this uh, Zelensky call. Uh, but, you know, is it in any way encouraging? Should we be encouraged by the fact that, you know, finally people are are talking, even preliminarily, about peace? Absolutely. It's very important. You know, I think we can just take Zelensky's lead on that in a way. You know, the fact that he's been publicly pushing for this call for so long is is a clear sign of how important it is. There's no question that China is going to abandon Russia, move away from its alliance with Russia. The question is, how does it support Russia? To what extent does it support Russia? And the answers to those questions really potentially have a very strong bearing on on how 
this war plays out. So the fact that, you know, she spoke to Zelensky, um, that he heard the Ukrainian position, which is what a lot of Western allies of Zelensky, European countries have been sort of urging China to do, you know, speak to Zelensky, hear the, hear the Ukrainian position firsthand is really important. And, you know, it is worth noting that that China and Ukraine did, before this full-scale invasion, did have a good relationship. I think Zelensky and she had spoken in early 2022 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of bilateral ties, you know, after they'd established diplomatic ties after Ukraine's independence. So there is a, a strong economic relationship that precedes this current war for Zelensky to build on. Um, so absolutely, it's 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 really an important moment. And, you know, that's the reason why Zelensky and his allies had been pushing for it. That feels like a perfect place to end. It's, uh, it's almost the weekend. Why don't we let this optimistic note linger for a little while longer? Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Emma. Appreciate it. That's all for today. Frontburner was produced this week by Lauren Donnelly, Rafferty Baker, Matt Ama, Jody Martinson, Derek Vanderwijk, and Imogen Burchard. Our sound design was by Sam McNulty and Mackenzie Cameron. Our intern is Constantina Varlocostas. Our music is by Joseph Shabison. Our executive producer is Nick McCabe Locos. I'm Alex Panetta. Thank you for listening to Frontburner. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.